Welcome to the Vision Driven Marriage Podcast. If you're struggling in your marriage, or maybe you're wondering if it's even salvageable before you give up or before you let things get too hard, let us come alongside you and help you solidify your marriage. We offer biblical encouragement and insight to help you strengthen your marriage. Welcome to a fifth Friday bonus episode of the Vision Driven Marriage Podcast. We are wrapping up a month-long topic of recovering from infidelity, and my guest today is the exclamation point on that conversation. Dr. Deborah Miller joins us today, and she is the author of More Than Sorry, Five Steps to Deepen Your Apology After You Have Committed Infidelity. Welcome, Dr. Deb. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Leslie. I'm excited to be here. Great. So what prompted you to write about this subject? Well, I am a therapist and uh, working in private practice, and I worked a lot with couples who were trying to restore, recover, repair after an affair, and it was getting a bit redundant. Um, The couples would come in and the person that was wounded, I call them, the person that was cheated on, really needed to vent you know, scream, cry, ask lots of questions and uh, needed support. And I'm not taking away from that, but then I would look over at the person, the violator, the sinner, the one that um, had the transgression who cheated. And that person typically would be head down, mumbling, uh, when asked why, say, I don't know. And they just really never participated in the repair enough. And I felt like it was so one-sided and that there was was really making the repair pretty uh, futile. And I so think, I- Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say that I would do some research, like what, what is out there for the person who cheated? And honestly, most of the uh, uh, supporting uh, self-help and, and uh, books is for the person violated, you know, that and the chat rooms and all those things are really for that person who, you know, was- completely in shock and completely baffled by what all that happened and had tons of questions. I think we see that a lot, don't we, in the counseling room where the focus is on the wounded and not on the wounder, right? On the one who committed the transgression. And that is not God's plan. I believe that God works to restore a relationship. He would work in both of both of the spouse's hearts in order to repair that relationship. And so that's the, that's the motivation. How do you get that person uh, who is filled with hopefully guilt, um, wanting to make change, wanting to be uh, vulnerable, open, uh, risky in terms of showing courage and looking at their own defense mechanisms and their own violation. And so there's some like pitch, you almost have to sell it to them. Like, this is really gonna help you. You know, and, you know, honestly, the people that probably buy my book is probably bought by the person that was cheated on, you know, you know, because there's such, it's such amazing um, infrastructure that we all have on our defense mechanisms. We all want to protect our ego and not truly look in the mirror and be completely honest. And so often, most of the time, people are, won't be willing to work on their transgressions unless they're caught, you know, Right. And that's why, and you can elaborate more on this, but that's why it's so hard for 
the person who has committed that transgression to talk about it. It's because there's not a safety net in that relationship, a vulnerability, a place that they can be vulnerable, right? So how do you facilitate that within the couples that you work with? Well, that is the challenge. And so you have to really, you know, I really find... um... I have to work individually with a person that cheated because they are going to not say, not be as open, not be as willing to self-analyze and to tell their story about what happened. Because of course there were probably some dynamics in the relationship, but that's, you can't work on that first. First you have to repair this transgression. First you have to repair the infidelity. and so the first question to the person is, you know, why, why do you want to do this work? You know, and yes, yes. why do you want to do this work as opposed to why did you cheat? Which was, you yes. know, that's kind of a condemning sentence, you know, but bringing them toward their spouse with why do you want to do this work? I think that is, is an amazing, uh, an amazing turn, an amazing point of view there to, uh, to emphasize in that. And so, so it's not always once, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater, that's not always true, is it? No, but it takes, um, it's kind of a spiritual energy, uh, um, a, a curiosity about yourself, a desire to, to get to an intimate place with in friendships and, and romantic relationships. And so all of that means you have to take a really hard look at yourself um, and be willing to grow from mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're all sinners. We all, uh, have things we're not so proud of. This is a biggie though. This is a biggie. And you've really hurt typically at least one person and maybe more people that may not even be aware that you have it. Right. And sometimes it's coming from a place of hurt that Mm -hmm. the, that person might not have ever even addressed or even know that's kind of working subconsciously right there. Right. Yeah. And so, so when a person starts starts making this repair, you know, um, what are the components of a sincere apology? Yeah. So my book takes you through like, it's like a journaling process of, and it is always a process Mm -hmm. and you can't sit down and read it in one sitting. You have to like commit to, I don't know, a month or so of really doing your self-analysis. I call it navel gazing. And it sounds a little little, um, narcissistic, but it's, it's important that you really go, hmm. Introspection, what right? Thinking? What are they doing? Because most people have not even told their story. Yeah. You know, they typically, just, if you cheat, you're not going to like go hang out and tell what happened to somebody. You know, you really, it's, you know, it's usually a secret. And that is the definition of an affair. It's a secret relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the two of you did not agree upon a third party, then it's an affair. Yeah. Um, and so it could be the internet, it could be online porn, it could be just online chatting with someone that's mm-hmm. not sexual. Like an emotional affair, right? But it's a relationship that the other person had no clue was happening because when there's a third party in your relationship, it changes the dynamics of you and your significant other. Yes. Yeah, it does. We had done an interview um, earlier this month with um, Brenna and Garrett Newfall, and I've talked so much about that interview this month, because it was so profound in how the Lord restored their relationship. They were both having an affair unbeknownst to either of them. And so when they started to unpack that, um, it was, you know, very difficult for them, but the Lord restored their relationship in some beautiful ways, just beautiful ways. 
And so, but her book is also written to the one who committed the transgression. And that's why I was so interested also in your book, because it's like I said, we don't see that a lot in, you know, in the counseling world or even in the church world, you know, we're more geared towards sitting with um, whom we would call the victim, you know, than the one who is the perpetrator. And, um, and I think that's human nature, but it's certainly not God's plan. I don't think we need to be more, um, aware of, and being able to minister to the couple as a whole than one or the other. Right. Yeah. It's a balancing act and knowing Mm -hmm. that you're really trying to treat their, their relationship, not necessarily them individually. How do they balance each other? Which brings me to the first step of a really sincere apology. Cause we've all been conditioned to say, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's, fine but it's really not very uh impactful or powerful especially if it's not really owned so the first step is empathy mm-hmm. do you as a violator truly get how much you hurt the person that you cheated on how much do you really understand where they're coming from and that is a skill to communicate empathy you know and it takes practice yes it yeah. takes practice changing that point of view to the other person's, you know, being able to see it from that other person's point of view is such a good skill. And mm-hmm. it and it's hard, especially as common society becomes and has become more self-focused. There's not a lot of looking at things from other people's point of view. Yeah, we, we're all got a little uh, guardedness and defensiveness. And so, especially in this case, if I'm coming at you and angry that you hurt me, that you cheated on me, you violated my trust, it's really hard for me to go, wow, you're really angry. No, my first reaction is to say yes, but. Yes, yes but, but, right. But, no, you didn't pay any attention to me or yes, but it didn't mean that much. It wasn't that big a deal. I mean, whatever our yes, but is, yes. it's human nature. Yes. And so the skill, the knowledge to learn how to go, okay, I hear you and here's what I hear. Don't just say, I get it. You have to say the words back. It's mm-hmm. In our counseling world, it's called reframe or um, reflective listening, reflective validation, all those words that should be part of our common language. It's a very important skill. And it is an internal need to figure out how to hold back your self-protective mechanisms that are just going to kick in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's really hard to look in the mirror and get it. But when you bring in an ounce of humility, um, and that's, you know, that's a biblical, that's something that we're called to as Christians is to be humble in our relationships, even when we're the ones that have caused the hurt to be humble in that relationship. You know, that's, that's where that starts. When you come in with a humility, then uh, you're able to at least more clearly or a little more clearly maybe see the other person's point of view. And so it you're it is a definite uh, skill to have and practice, isn't it? Yes. So yeah. what's step number two? Step number two is to look inward, to do the navel gazing. And there's a pretty long chapter, honestly, because you want to look at your defense mechanisms. You want to look at your attachment styles. You want to look at your personality styles. You want to uh, look at how you cope, how you manage stress, how you uh, communicate. Because the reality is um, 
again, if we don't think we're going to get caught, we just can somehow do this bizarre, like, it's not a big deal. I'm no one knows. No one's going to hurt. Justifying and it, right? Justifying. And that's so huge. So that's step two is really, really take some time to look inward and make guesses. You know, because the whole, the big question the uh, wounded is going to ask is why. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That answer, it's not a black, white answer. Mm-mm. It's very complicated. And my answer is going to evolve with the more uh, awareness I have of myself. Yes. I'm so day one, why'd you cheat on me? I don't know. I was bored. Day uh, 365, you know, a year later, why'd you cheat on me? Wow. I realized I was really self-absorbed. I was, you know, not taking care of myself. I wasn't looking and honoring our marriage or relationship. Yeah, you know, and then five years later, it may even be another answer, but that is also the point. This isn't a one and done deal, right? You're not just done apologize. It's gonna keep coming up. It's gonna be a kind of a a part of your relationship that you have to like sadly accept. This is part of our identity as a couple. Um, and that means you have to have this courage, the humility, and the skill to address it when it comes up again. You know, imagine sitting there watching a TV show and the characters are having some affair and it just makes you flood with memories. These bad memories get stuck in our heads. And so when the you want to be able to say, wow, I can tell you're thinking about the affair I had five years ago. And the other person saying, yeah, it still hurts. And, you know, not that you're going to rehash all the specifics, but you're going to say, I'm so sorry. Again, I'm so sorry that yeah, I hurt you. Just being I, able to deal with that current trigger, because that's what it is. It's a trigger. You've been triggered by something in the current moment because of something that has happened in the past, you know? Yeah. yeah being able to deal with that current and know that that's coming. Like it's not a, you know, yeah. be able expect it, expect it because it's going to be coming. Yes. Yes. Don't get, I know. Cause I mean, I'm not saying this works with everybody because some people just aren't ready. And I, I have one, I use some case studies in my book and there's one couple that didn't make it because he was just totally annoyed. Like, why are we still talking about this? Why are we bringing it up again? I told you, I'm sorry. I told you I won't do it again. You know, I wouldn't explore it and and talk about it. And they weren't feeling safe with each other. Right. So, right. I can see where that would make the, make the, make the wife, I'm assuming the wife, make the one spouse feel like they weren't connected in that relationship because their feelings were not being acknowledged or, yeah. you know, not being um, honored in, in that kind of way. Yeah. And so step three is saying it out loud. Again, the secrecy of affairs is that we stuff it and we don't ever tell the story to anybody. We don't process it out loud and we don't find someone to be our kind of accountability partner mm. and it can't be your spouse often or your significant other because they're too wounded yeah so you have to find someone whether it be a therapist a, a, a minister um a good friend who can listen without judgment but also hold you accountable you know with what you're going to do but you have to say it out loud it makes it harder to stuff it if you if you don't tell anybody you can do this again this brain thing that says oh well minimize you know it's gonna be yeah yeah and then right and then minimize it excuse it um you know uh, make it something that it's not you know and so Mm -hmm. so yeah when you say it out loud you have to own it and then you have to own how you feel about it you know right right um because you know what you know they're gonna have people are gonna have 
a lot of cases, they were did get attached attached to their affair partner, mm -hmm. and they did have some positive experiences about it. Are you going to share that with your significant other? Not really, because that's just digging in the the nail a little too deep. But it is important to step back and go, why why was I able to be more open, more vulnerable, more fun, more spontaneous with this affair partner? What? How can I find that part of me? in all my relationships, you know? Um, Esther Perel is a pretty in, uh, famous sex therapist or marriage counselor uh, in our field. And she said that sometimes an affair is not an attempt to have a new relationship, but to have a different relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it, you know, so that's the, the soul searching was I yeah. searching. But being able to open up and speak those things with your spouse to say, I, you know, this is what I need in our relationship and how can we work together to get that accomplished, you know? Yeah. And I right. think, yeah. And that's a, you know, it, that's kind of like the benefit of being introspective is that you're then aware and can voice what you need and move towards your spouse to get those needs met. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. What, so then the last, the last two steps, press, set your restitution goals. How am I going to be different? How am I going to be more honest? How am I going to uh, be more focused on uh, repairing my relationship? How am I going to be different with my children, with my community, with my church, whatever it is, you know, just set some goals. And then the last step is writing the, I suggest writing a, a letter of an apology and it's going to be more than I'm sorry. I'm because, you know, when you say, I'm sorry, uh, I hurt you. You need to expound on that. How did you hurt me? What are you aware of? And what have you learned about yourself? Mm -hmm. And what are you committed to do differently? So and that, that vulnerability and that transparency, that's where the true connection in the relationship can grow. And without mm -hmm. that transparency, because that vulnerability is not there, it makes it harder to connect with your spouse as you're trying to apologize and say you're sorry and harder for your spouse to connect with you because they don't see, they don't feel seen or heard in that relationship. So I can see where that's a very powerful step. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And guess what? You may not be forgiven. Yeah. Your spouse may choose, may not be ready. You may, your child may not uh, feel good enough to trust enough to stay with you. It and takes you to, time, doesn't it? And you have to, you know, all, you have to accept that. Just because you're doing all this work to self-improve or to, to own up and take responsibility for your, your behavior doesn't mean the other person can let go. Right. Uh, and I think accepting it is, and still working on it is a yeah. little different than accepting it and saying it's never going to change, you know, mm. because forgiveness does take time. And there's a lot of things to work through when you have been so wounded that person has to unpack all of those issues too. Just like, you know, you're encouraging the person who has committed that um, adultery to be self uh, reflective and introspective. And the, you know, the wounded spouse also has to say, why am, why, you know, why am, is this so deep and why is it hurting so deep? And can I forgive and how do I forgive? And unpacking all of that stuff too. So I think bringing into the whole process, a sense of this is going to take a long time, but I'm in it for the long haul. 
You know, I think that that is really, really important. And like you said, bringing in some accountability or some support, um, because it's not shameful to get a counseling and to get help at this, you know, at this time, because it's hard. It's a really hard time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I everything, all the advice I'm giving to the person that uh, committed infidelity, I'm also giving to the person that's wounded. I mean, yeah. they need to do their own self-analysis. They need to do their own um, acceptance and get help and talk about it with people and process all that's happened. But I do have a, you know, a couple pages of tips for the uh, wounded, you know, basically saying you're in charge. You get to decide what you're going to let go of and how you're going to do. And you have to figure out how to have the patience to watch and listen. And, and it's hard because initially when an affair happens, there's so many logistical questions, mm -hmm. you know, what hotel did you go to? How many times, where'd you eat dinner? Uh, how many months, how many times, how many, you know, and yes, you, you need to know, but then there's a point where you don't need to know. Right. Right. You know, you have to figure out how to just, uh, let go of uh, not really knowing right uh, and to stay in the in the connection with with your with your significant other but i and think that that would be easier to do as the trust is being rebuilt like as the trust is being rebuilt and some of the wounds have healed it's easier to make that that decision to let go of some of the other things a little easier. So that's kind of part of the process as you go. And I know like Brenna and Garrett, they said it took over a year when, as they were, you know, processing all of the things, but they committed to the things that they committed to were things that would solidify their relationship. They committed to open communication. They committed to complete transparency and doing what it would take, like what the other person needed in order to repair that relationship. So they were both completely committed to repairing their relationship and God did an amazing work in their, in their marriage and their relationship. And so right. I know God restores, but sometimes the process is a lot longer than what we think it is going to be, isn't it? Yeah. It's you, we, you know, again, with our humanness, we want to erase pain. We want to erase yeah emotional pain as quick as we can. Uh, but in their case, they both had to do some individual repair and make amends. Um, but you said something too about um, law transparency. And that is, you have to let go of your own privacy for a while. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the other person needs to see all your text messages, your, your emails, your phone messages, and you know, so again, you have to be committed to, to uh, accepting the ramifications of your infidelity and committed to knowing the process it's going to take to get back to loving and liking each other again. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I would say that even having a transparency, like pre-affair is something mm -hmm. that would, would not leave your relationship open to the risk of an affair to start with. I mean, Doug and I practice that open, um, you know, that open transparency. He has access to my emails. I have access to his computer and his phone. You know, he knows where I'm at. I know where he's at. You know, we just have that open transparency with each other um, more so, obviously more so than anybody else in our lives, you know, mm -hmm. and I think practicing that kind of level of transparency really can 
ward off uh, the risk of an affair to start with. Yeah, that's kind of a really good practice, especially to counsel new couples, yeah. you know, that they, this isn't, um, yeah, you got to have a level of trust. And trust is kind of wanes, waxes and wanes. I mean, that's, you know, it's not like I trust you, you know, you know it's going to go down, especially if recovering from an affair. Oh, absolutely. So, going to take a long time if ever to get to 100 percent you know you hope to get to 80 percent okay i think sometimes we talk about trust uh not in its fullest or or kind of from a from a wrong point of view or not wrong but a different point of view i don't i think trust should always be talked about as a consequence of being trustworthy because that puts the responsibility then where it belongs and that's on the person to be trustworthy like if the spouse is being trustworthy trust is going to happen Mm -hmm. it's a it's a consequence of being trustworthy and so often like it's the experience that i've had in the counseling office is that i'll have a spouse say well my spouse doesn't trust me you know it's their fault because they don't trust me well are you being trustworthy you know, mm-hmm. trust will happen if you're being trustworthy. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes I just I, I shake my head and <laughs> it's like yeah, oh. I was reflecting on some clients in the past who, you know, over and over again, the one spouse would deny oh. any wrongful doings, but yet had their own phone account and their own separate email account. And then, of course, in today's world, you can pretty much dig into most of that stuff. And, and of course, the other spouse did and discovered a lot. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? If you take responsibility for being trustworthy, then your spouse is going to trust you. I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. a simple fact. And so Dr. Deb, it has been amazing to have you on the podcast today. And please tell us where we, we can find your book. And I will certainly link that in the show notes for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's on Amazon, you know, <laughs> and um, we all find our books at, right? We all find our books. <laughs> but yeah, my website is uh, drdebmiller.com, www.drdebmiller.com. And there's a link to the book on that. It might be easier to find it that way. Very good. Um, I will put those links in the show notes for sure. One yeah. last piece of advice for us, for uh, the couple that would be um, facing uh, this process. What would you tell them? Uh, my advice is, you know, to really hold on to the commitment and belief that who you are, who you were in the past is not who you have to be in the future. Yes. Brilliant. I think that that is good, good, a good word. Once it, it's not always once a cheater, always a cheater that God can restore that relationship to something that is glorious and in, in is and, and in his nature is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, I agree. Well, thanks, Dr. Deb. It's been amazing to have you. And until next time. Okay, thank you. 